This morning, uh, before we open our Bibles, I wanted to make you aware of a change that is taking place. Um, last week, we took the first step to beginning to do invitations again, and the, the, offering, the altar being open, and indeed it will be every Sunday as we preach. We are going to give you an opportunity, however, to respond uh, in coming forward. Yeah, and children, if you want to make your way to Miss Amy, that'll be fine. So children that pre-register for Children's Church, you can do that now. So we'll be doing the invitation again. When I finish preaching, I'll be coming down to the floor. But I wanted to let you know that we're going to be doing it just a little bit differently, and I wanted to explain why. Of course, as we begin to sing, if the Lord lays on your heart to come to the altar and pray, feel free to do that. But if the Lord lays on your heart that you need to speak with one of the pastors, either I'll be down here, Pastor Nathan, maybe even sometime Chris. As you come forward, we'll find out what the need is. You may be coming forward for prayer. It may be repentance over something. It may be to be saved. But I want to let you know that what we are going to do is meet you, hear that need. Then we're going to ask you to have a seat on one of the chairs here on the front row. Then after we finish singing and the service is done, then we're going to go to one of the Sunday school rooms just across the lobby where we can sit down and really talk, really listen, pray together, see how to follow up. The reason we're doing that is that, quite frankly, sometimes when somebody came down and the congregation is singing, it was hard to hear. And then, quite frankly, you feel the weight of the congregation staring as you're coming forward to deal with this deep spiritual issue. So we believe this will give a greater opportunity to really counsel with those who come forward. So just be aware that today we'll be doing the invitation again, but doing it just a little bit differently than we've done in the past. Now, with that said, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And I'll explain in a moment why we're stepping away from 1 Thessalonians for this Sunday. Turning there, I'm, I wanted to share with you something that we saw God do this week in His healing of Emma. Uh, We've been in therapy laying her on her belly, which is, is amazing to watch and to see her respond to that, even getting her up on her knees. But this week, she was laying on her belly, and we had lifted her leg up, it's hard to show, but like this, to stretch her hamstring a little bit, and Jody was gently holding Emma's leg, and the therapist said, Emma, I want you to start pressing your leg down and to move it outward if you can. And church, she did. She did it on her own. Um, not only with one leg but with both and the therapists they were just like praise the Lord we've got our, our therapists are believers and they were praising God we were praising God we were just having a great time seeing the things that God's doing so I share that with you just as a reminder God's at work in all things we may not know how we may not know when but my firm belief congregation is that God hears our prayers and he's working in all things so be encouraged by that now, I want us to direct our attention this morning to the letter Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. I want to read verses 17 through verse 1 of chapter 4. So follow with me as I read. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on, heavenly thing, on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Pray with me. Father, Your Word is truth, and this morning... Father, we bow in submission to your word, asking you to accomplish your purpose within our lives. Father, I pray that your spirit would go before this, this proclamation so that when your word is received, it will be received without hesitation or reservation. That you would find your servants obedient to your calling. Grant it, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. And the church said, Amen. The reason that I'm stepping away from 1 Thessalonians is because today, of course, we celebrate our nation's independence. And there's one key word that drew me to this passage. It's a word found in verse 20, and I'm sure you can pick it out easily. It is the word citizenship. Citizenship is a word that we take often too lightly and take for granted. The former prime minister of Great Britain, Britain Tony Blair, in his 2010 memoir, told the story of a, a friend of his family who grew up in the United States. He wasn't a Native American, however. His, his family had migrated to the United States. They were Jews, and they were seeking freedom. Life was hard. This friend of the Prime Minister, his father died when he was young. His mother worked multiple jobs to make ends meet. But over time... This young man, as he grew, became very successful. He grew wealthy. And wanting to show his appreciation to his mother, he would invite to take her on trips to travel the world. But every time he invited her to travel, she would say, no, no thank you, I, just, I would just rather stay here. As she grew older and time passed, she eventually passed away. When the son went to the bank to open the safety deposit box where she kept her valuables, he was intrigued to find that within that safety deposit box there was another lock box but there was no key obviously he was very curious what could be so valuable to his mother that she would lock it away and throw away the key after getting a lock box a locksmith to open this box he found within it the papers declaring her a citizen of the United States so precious to her, she wanted to keep it safe. My brothers and sisters, I want us to be mindful this morning that as valuable as it is to be a citizen of this nation, it is even greater and more valuable to be a citizen of heaven. And we must remember that our primary allegiance, our primary citizenship, is that of heaven. The language that Paul uses in verse 20 would have resonated with the citizens of Philippi. It would have resonated because that word citizenship there in verse 20 could also be translated colony. We're a colony of heaven. It could be translated commonwealth, a commonwealth of heaven. And the reason that it would have resonated with the, the citizens of Philippi is because that city was a colony, a, a commonwealth of Rome. Even though it had been founded years prior to the founding of Rome, 
it was still recognized as a commonwealth by decree of the Caesar Augustus because as Roman soldiers would retire from service, they began migrating to Philippi. In many ways, Philippi was an ancient VA. It's where all these soldiers were. And so as a gesture of goodwill, the Caesar declared that Philippi would be a commonwealth, a colony of Rome. Now what that meant was this, is that anyone who was a citizen of Philippi was automatically a citizen of Rome. It also meant that the laws of Rome automatically applied to Philippi. It meant that Philippi was meant to be a little taste of Rome. So even though a person living in Philippi was a thousand miles away from their home in Rome, they could experience what home was like. Think about it like this. Isabella Wilkerson, in her book, The Warmth of Other Suns, records the great migration that took place out of the South in the early part of the 20th century. People of color migrated out of the South seeking to, to get away from the repressive Jim Crow laws and, and abuse and began moving to the cities. But when they got to the cities, they were very lonely. And so over time, people from the same area began to begin moving and moving into close proximity with one another in this faraway place. So that, that a person that, say, left Baton Rouge and they ended up in L.A., they found other people from Louisiana and began to enjoying some good Cajun food together. It was a taste of home even though they were far away. People from Nashville that migrated to Detroit, they would begin living together so they could enjoy some good fried cooking and some great music, a little taste of home even though you are far away. So when Paul says you are citizens of heaven, he is saying even though you are not home, when the church gathers together, it should be a little taste of your true home heaven that when the Christians are in together in fellowship it should be a little reminder of where our true home is and what it is like for we are not citizens of this world but we are citizens of heaven and we must keep this thinking first and foremost in our thoughts mother Teresa put it like this by blood and origin I'm all Albanian my citizenship is Indian I'm a Catholic nun as to my calling I belong to the whole world as to my heart I belong entirely to Jesus that needs to be on the lips of every believer we need to keep in mind that our primary identity is that of followers of Jesus You see I'm afraid that with so much pressure in our nation today we forget that and we begin to think of ourselves as Christian Americans that's reversed. That's saying that our primary identity is as Americans. We need to reverse that and say we are American Christians. Our primary identity is followers of Jesus Christ. Church, do we believe that? Do we live with that thinking in our thoughts and minds? Because if we forget that our primary loyalty and our primary citizenship is of heaven, there are a couple of consequences to this. When we forget that we are primarily citizens of heaven, well, our character will begin to be shaped by the world. Remember, to the colonists of Philippi, they lived according to Roman law, even though they were far away from Rome. If they forgot that, they began to live according to the dictates of the world around them. As citizens of heaven, it is not the culture around us that should dictate our character. It is our citizenship in heaven that must dictate our character. When we forget that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven, our courage will begin to falter. When we forget our identity 
when we forget that we are, are citizens of heaven called to stand firm for our Lord. Now, in order not to forget that we are citizens of heaven, and in order for our character to be shaped by Christ and our courage not to falter, we need good examples. We need godly examples. Look at verse 17. Paul says something that if you've been here for any of the messages in 1 Thessalonians does not come as a shock to you. What does Paul say? Join in imitating me. This theme of imitation. In fact, he says, not only imitate me, but he broadens it. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to Christ. You see, we need not just theoretical Christianity. We need flesh and blood models of what it means to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to follow examples that are simply just theoretical. Now, I'm blessed in many ways. My son-in-law is a wonderful young man. I love him dearly. He also enjoys the game of basketball, which resonates with me as a former basketball player. And since he plays, I get to regale him with my, 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 my glorious play on the court. You know, as Jody has said many times, the older I get, the better I was. Now, when I was in my playing days, my signature move, I played inside. I was a post player. My signature move was the up and under move. That was my go-to move. Very simple. If I, I'm going to teach you how to do the up and under move this morning. It goes like this. You take your foot that's a, a weight furthest away from the goal. You plant it and you pivot hard upon it, bringing your body at a 45-degree angle to the goal, giving a hard pump fake with the ball. At that point, when your opponent launches his body in the air, you then pivot hard underneath them, moving up, laying the ball up gently. Got that? No, you don't. But what if we met, and I said, hey, I'm going to meet you at the gym this week, and we get here, and we get on the court, and I say, what it is, okay, the goal's here, you're going to use this foot, you're going to turn and fake up, then you're going to step under and go up strong to the goal. And we begin walking through it. And I can, ex I can get, serve as an example to you and show you what, that's what Paul's doing. He's not leaving this Christianity and walking with Christ theoretical. He's saying, here's a model of how it's done. So when Paul writes earlier, he says, I count everything as lost for the sake of Jesus Christ. He's saying, look at my life. When he says that I want to forget what lies behind and press on toward the high calling of God in Jesus Christ, he is saying, look at me. This is what it's like. Now, this is where I want to challenge you. Would you be open to forming relationships where you can say, let's encourage one another to walk with Christ? Would we be willing to be in relationships where we are vulnerable about our victories as well as our struggles? Would you be willing to be taught to form a relationship where you come along, someone as a believer, and say, hey, I, I, I see Christ in you? Now remember, Paul's not doing this to puff himself up. He knows that the ways of the world become glamorous and can catch our vision. He knows we need flesh and blood to come alongside us. But I also ask you this, would you be willing to be that example to someone? Now, I know the first thing that the enemy is going to plan in your mind when you think about entering into a relationship where you are helping someone to grow in the faith, you're going to say, I'm not worthy. Who is? 
You see, if anything, we can model the grace of God. And through our failures, we can instruct others to say, don't go this route. Rely on the grace of God. More than ever, we need to recognize our calling is making disciples. And that's going to require more than just meeting for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning at church. It's going to require being involved with one another's lives, encouraging one another. And even more, as the pressure against Christianity mounts in our culture, we need one another. Are you open to that? Paul says you must because there are enemies of the cross notice the transition that he moves to in verse 18 for for many of whom I tell you walk as enemies of the cross of Christ so why is Paul encouraging examples because there are enemies and they are very real now Paul from verses 18 through 21 really gives two contrasts He's going to talk about those that are enemies of the cross as well as those who are citizens. And what I want us to do is to walk through these two areas because, quite frankly, it's one or the other. Either we are living as enemies of the cross or we are citizens of heaven. There's no in-between. And that's the dangerous thing. A person who is an enemy of the cross might not even know it. Yes, there are those that are verbally and clearly antagonistic toward the faith. But what you'll find in here is there are many that are enemies of the cross without even realizing it. So what does it look like to be an enemy of the cross? And on the other hand, what does it look like to be a part of a citizen of heaven? Well, the first thing is this. Look at the end for those that are enemies of the cross. Verse 19. Their end is destruction. This is a reference to the final judgment of God. The final pouring out of His wrath. To be very forthright, it's a reference to hell. We must remember that the terrible, horrible doctrine of hell is real. We may say, well, how could, I just, how could God be loving and do that? And I would tell you that just because God is loving, that does not negate His justice. God is just. You and I have a longing for justice, and God being the perfect being, the only perfect being in the universe will bring about justice to those who are enemies of His glory. When we speak of the doctrine of hell, it should be very sobering to us. And when we look at our culture, there should never be a sense of satisfaction in thinking, well, one day they'll get theirs. Because look at how Paul addresses this. Look at verse 18. I've often told you and now tell you even with what? tears church the truth that there are those who reject Christ and are going to hell should break our hearts and if we ever become so calloused that the thought of people spending eternity apart from God does not move us to pray and to evangelize and to weep we must repent that's what's at stake here. We must recognize the end of those that do not know Christ is not good. But on the other hand, notice this. What is the end for those who are citizens of heaven? Transformation. Look at verse 21. He says, we are waiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus from heaven. What will Jesus do when He comes? He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. 
The good news is that in Christ we'll be changed. You see, the goal of salvation is our total transformation that we would be like Jesus for His glory and, and throughout all of eternity. So this is the promise that upon the return of Jesus, those who are dead in Christ will rise and be transformed, and those who are alive when Christ returns will be transformed and given brand new bodies. Hallelujah. People say, well, what will I look like in my new body? I hope I am 6'4 and have hair. Now, I don't know. But I do know this. It will be like the resurrected body of Christ because look what he says totally clearly he will transform us to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him now the fact that he says power is a reassurance nothing can stop that nothing nothing not our struggles with sin not our failures not anything can stop Jesus from accomplishing his purpose of totally transforming us at his return I, I know I watch these do-it-yourself shows not that I can do it myself but it's always fun to dream now, I know one of the most popular do-it-yourself shows is Fixer Upper. Uh, in the early service, I got a, a response. It was like a spirit, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Now, if you've ever seen it, you know how it goes. Okay, this, this couple chooses the house that they want as their Fixer Upper. And Chip goes into work. And man, he's working, he's working. And then what always happens halfway through it? Uh-oh. The floor just completely fell out. I've got to make a call. Okay, you got a choice here. We can either give you a new floor or a roof. You got to choose. You want a floor or a roof? It's got to be one or the other. We can't fit it in budget. So we got a problem. Isn't it good to know that in accomplishing your salvation, our Lord never runs into a problem? He never comes to you and says, you know what? You've gone too far now. That's it. And never at the moment of his return will he look and say, oh, I'm going to transform somebody else, but not you. He will accomplish his work of giving us bodies that are free from sin. You know that? Free from sickness, free from disease, free from temptation, free to enjoy God totally and eternally forever. Church, that's what we have waiting for us as citizens of heaven. What? What does those who rebel against the cross have waiting for them? Destruction. Paul's weighing out. He's saying, keep in mind who you are. But then he gives another glorious truth. Notice the enemies of the cross, they follow their desires and instincts. Whereas those who are followers of Jesus, they do what? They follow the Lord. Notice in verse 19 again, their God is their belly. It's a way of saying they follow their desires. See, remember, those who are enemies of the cross don't often wear, wear signs that say enemy of the cross. While some do, most don't. But one way to identify as an enemy, an enemy of the cross is one who does not recognize the lordship of Christ and simply does what they want to do. You see, in our world today, the mantra is, if you desire it, no one should tell you that your desire is wrong. And in fact, the thinking is, the worst thing you could tell a person is not to act on their desires. But what's lacking is an understanding that the source of our desires is flawed. So if you have a flawed organ, the heart, giving desires, those desires will be flawed. A few years ago, when we were going on vacation, we decided to rent a vehicle. It gave us a little more room and didn't you know, wear and tear on the car. But this vehicle we rented, it had now this was a big deal to me it had its own GPS and a dashboard that gave a display where you could follow the map and I'm like oh this is great you know I don't have to set my phone 
But as we started traveling, I noticed something was wrong. What I was seeing on the GPS did not match the road in front of me. When we pulled over, we started looking at it, messing with it, and discovered, even though I was driving in South Carolina, the GPS was telling me I was in Kentucky. We had a problem. Now, what would have happened if I'm, if I'm dead set, that's the GPS, that's the authority, and if that tells me to turn right, I'm going to turn right. I'll end up like Michael Scott in a pond. If the GPS is wrong, the directions will be wrong. Our hearts are sinful. What that means is the desires that come out of our hearts are sinful. So what's going to happen if we follow desires that come from a broken GPS? It's not going to end well. Church, we see that around us. And more and more, we need to be ready to minister to those that are broken when they've believed the world that says, follow your desires, you'll be happy, satisfied. And then they get what they've desired. And they find that it's destruction. Now, the contrary to that, the correlation is we follow the Lord. Notice in verse 20, he doesn't just call Jesus Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recognize those two go hand in hand. They're the same sides of the same coin, Savior and Lord. We can't have Jesus as Savior without recognizing him as Lord. And Lord means that he calls the shot. So what it means is this. It means that when it comes time for me to make a decision or I'm desiring to do something, instead of just acting I seek Him. I pray. I come to the Word. Lord, what does your Word say about this? And then if I'm still not sure, I talk with other believers. Because remember, we're in relationships where we're open to one another, seeking the counsel of God. So that I am not leaning unto my own understanding, but I'm acknowledging God in every step of the path. Enemies of the cross don't do that. But citizens of heaven do. Do you seek the Lord in the decisions you must make? Or do you follow your heart's desires? Another contrast is this. The enemies of the cross glory in their shame. Citizens of heaven glory in Jesus. It's very clear there. They glory. That means their, their honor, their boastfulness is in their shame. It's been said that we have forgotten as a people how to blush. The reality is there are very few things that cause embarrassment this day. In fact, sometimes I fear the greatest thing in our culture is that you feel embarrassed over following your desires. You see, the glory of those that are enemies of the cross, their honor, their boast, are in the destructive things that they do. They celebrate the things that bring dishonor, and things that are indeed shameful. But as Christians... We glory in Christ. Verse 21, that's why he says to be like his, what glorious body. It tells us that part of our goal is to seek him. We know that at his transformation, our bodies will be changed to be like him. But as we live, we seek that glory, to seek that his life would be demonstrated and manifest within us. See, that's where we need to know that our character is determined by Jesus and not the world. C.S. Lewis dealt with this in the 1950s. One of his books called The Abolition of Man, he wrote about the danger of losing virtue 
losing Christ-like character. And he wrote these words. He said, we make men without chest. In other words, we remove and mock that which is virtuous and honorable. He said, we make men without chest and we expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. That's so accurate. We mock virtue and then we're surprised when people act in ways that are not virtuous. We mock those who have a, a code of honor in following the truth, and then we wonder, why, doesn't people, why don't people tell the truth? We must be careful what we applaud, because that which we applaud becomes that which we try to imitate. That's why we must focus upon Christ and Christ alone. One final point of comparison is this. The enemies of the cross focus on earthly things. We focus on eternity. Verse 19, they set their minds, their minds are set on earthly things while we wait a Savior. See, those who are living as enemies of the cross, they live for the moment, now. Set on what glories, what things they can enjoy at this moment. But for us as Christians, we live waiting. Waiting is a part of the Christian life. So remember, we are citizens, a commonwealth, far from home, but we're waiting for our Savior who will come to us, bring about total redemption. So we live focused on that moment, not for the applause that comes at this present time, but on the glory of Christ that will be revealed later. I love the story that's told of a missionary couple in the earlier part of the 20th century that had finished their time overseas they made their way home by ship. It just so happened that on the same ship there was a well-known politician traveling. And when the ship landed, there was a band that had gathered to, to welcome the politician home. And there were great crowds that were singing his praises and clapping. And this politician walked down the gangplank to huge fanfare. This couple made their way down another gangplank. No one there. The husband was discouraged by this. He said, you would have thought that when we arrived here, at least one person would have been here to greet us. His wife stopped and looked at him and said, but honey, you and I, we're not home yet. We're not home. When we get home, oh, there will be celebration. Church, remember, this is not our home. First Peter describes us as sojourners, aliens. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're a colony. And because of that, more than ever, we need to heed the admonition that Paul writes in verse 1. Stand firm. Remember who you are. Stand firm. Don't give up. Don't become fearful when it seems that the course of the culture is turning against you, stand firm. There's a moment in the glorious, uh, wonderful book by J.R.R. Tolkien, Return of the King. The city of Gondor is the city of men. It's a citadel, beautiful, but it's under siege. Their enemies, the people of Mordor, the orcs and the horrendous creatures have surrounded the city and are besieging it. In fact, their enemies are battering, battering the gates. The soldiers of Gondor are behind the gates, and you can see in their eyes in the, the movie, they're, they're fearful. 
And Gandalf is riding beside them, Gandalf the wizard, and he looks at them and he says, You are soldiers of Gondor. No matter what comes through that gate, you will stand your ground. And you can see at that moment their shoulders go back, their eyes focus, and they stand firm. In like manner, Paul is saying, You, church, you are citizens of heaven. No matter what happens in the world around you, stand firm for your citizenship is in heaven. So today, church, I encourage you, on this day when we celebrate and remember our nation's independence, thank God for that. But thank God even more that your name is written on the citizenship roll of heaven. And from there, we await a Savior. And this morning, if you are uncertain of where your citizenship lies, if you've looked at this comparison and you think, you know what, I'm not sure that I'm living as a citizen of heaven, I'm going to be here at the front to receive you. And after the service, we'll talk with you about what it means to follow Christ. So I ask you now, if you will, to bow your head with me. Father, I thank you for your grace. For we know that we are citizens, not because we are worthy, not because we deserve it, but because, oh God, you are gracious and you have made us to be born again. So, Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us to stand firm. That in the winds that are blowing, causing destruction around us in the culture, that we will stand firm as a colony of Christ. And we will show the grace, the compassion, the truth of the gospel. And, Lord, this morning I pray that as your spirit works, if there's one that is unsure of where their citizenship lies, bring them to respond this morning that they might know that they can be forgiven, born again, and know what it is to belong to the city of God. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you join me by standing? And as I said, if you need to respond in any way, please come forward at this time. Seek ye first the
close with reading the scripture, I just want to ask you to bow your heads with me. As Nathan prayed earlier, I want us just to come back and praying again. Praying for spiritual awakening. Praying that God would raise up 500 more Southern Baptist missionaries in the next year. And as we pray this, I wonder if we will keep in mind that God may answer those prayers through us. Could it be out of this congregation, God is beginning to stir your heart right now to serve as a missionary? You think about going overseas and your heart begins to beat faster and you think, Lord, could that be it? If that's the case, please reach out to me or Pastor Nathan and we'll be glad to help begin that process. In the prayer for spiritual awakening, it will happen as God's people seek Him and as we begin to witness. Remember, we're to show people what it is to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. That's our home. Would you recommit, even in this moment, to say, Lord, help me to point people toward the kingdom of heaven? Grant that in my life they'll see the difference it makes to be a citizen of heaven. Father, search our hearts in these areas. We pray for spiritual awakening in our nation. Let it begin with us, O oh God. Bring revival to our hearts that we may step out of our comfort zones to share the gospel with friends, with family members, with those that we have relationships with that we'll be quick to speak and to ask them the question, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Father, I pray that you would stir up across the Southern Baptist Convention at least 500. And God, I pray knowing you are a great God that you could even stir up a thousand. So Lord, I pray that as we make this request, we will be open to hear your voice. Father, right now you may be speaking to someone in this congregation, a, a young couple, a single man or a single woman, and you're stirring their heart with a passion for the nations. Lord, fan that into a flame. Grant these things, Father, we pray. To your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. As we go today, we're going to finish with a passage from 1 Timothy, and I pray this will remind us of our great God. Hear the word of the Lord as we are dismissed. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You are dismissed.